prophet Jonah, the minor prophet Jonah. We'll continue our reading from chapter 1, verses 7 to 16. Jonah 1, verses 7 to 16. And they said, everyone to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause is this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and say unto him, What hast thou done this? For the man knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then, he say, then they say unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea might be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he say unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord, and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. And the man feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. So far the reading of God's word. Our text this evening comes from Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 to 16. But before we start, let's pray once again to the Lord. O Lord our God, as we just sang, Thou art the true God, the God of the righteous of Thy people, Lord. And O Lord, all other gods are false gods, empty gods, death, mute, who can do nothing, Lord. So bring us, Lord, this evening before the one true God in faithful submission unto Thee. And, lo, Lord, requalify those who perhaps have walked astray from Thy calling, Lord, and enable us to serve Thee today and forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we began our journey last time in the book of Jonah. And we saw how the book of Jonah is a book filled with unexpected events, filled with reversals, and in some sense, the, the book of Jonah could be called the book of the unexpected, because in this book, we'll have so many ironic scenes, so many reversals, and this book is never going to cease to shock us and to impress us. So we stopped our text last time with the running prophet, 
sleeping at the bottom of the ship, as we saw in verse 6. And this evening, we continue our journey through the book of Jonah, and we'll meditate on God's stormy mercy. We'll see how God uncovers the sinner man, and doesn't matter where he hides, even though God might judge, his grace is always manifested. To do so, we will examine this text under three headings. First, sin found out, verses 7 to 10. Second, sin dealt with, verses 11 to 13. And third, sin resolved, verses 14 to 16. So first, let's consider sin found out. Now, the desperate sailors as Jonah was sleeping at the bottom of that ship, are now desperate. And they come now to their third attempt to get out of this situation. The waves were crashing against the ship. Things things were going out of hand. And it seems like they were going to die at any moment. And they come now to this third attempt. They they have prayer, pray to their gods. They have tried to throw away the cargo of the ship. And nothing seems to happen. And now they come to the conclusion that someone is to blame for this storm. This is not a natural storm. This is something supernatural. So someone must have upset a god somewhere. And this is the common ancient Near East mentality. That they treated God in a way that you do something for God and then he will give you something in return. And if you do something bad, then God would punish you. So they treated God almost like a vending machine. So you put in and you then hope to receive what you paid for. So that is the mentality that these men had. And it is interesting that up until this moment, there is no action on the part of Jonah. Although we see these sailor men running around one way to the other, trying to find something that could work. Jonah has no desire to pray. He's just sleeping, relaxing at the bottom of the ship, silent. And their third attempt was to cast lots, verse 7. And they said everyone to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. In the Old Testament times, casting lots was a common practice to discover guilt, or to make decisions. And we can see that in 1 Samuel chapter 14, 41 and 42, or even among pagans, as we see in Esther chapter 3, verse 7, there was a sense that the outcome was controlled by divine sovereignty. That somehow there was this divine force behind everything. And this could be predicted or determined by casting lots. And lo and behold, as they cast lots, the lots fell upon Jonah. Immediately after the lot fell upon Jonah, they flood him with questions. Verse 8. Who is to blame? What do you do for work? Where are you from? Who are your people? They are desperate. And in the moment that the lots fell upon Jonah, they come to him, asking him, tell us, what is going on? 
Although they cast lots, they didn't have all the information. And they needed Jonah to confess and to tell them what was happening. If Jonah was guilty, all these information that they were asking could be helpful to find out uh, something useful to bring them out of this situation. Which God did you offend, Jonah? And how do we appease these God? That was the question behind. And Jonah answers emphatically, I am a Hebrew, verse 9. Other Near Eastern peoples of that time would recognize this name, Hebrew. That's how they refer to the Israelites, a Hebrew. That's why we see in Exodus 1.15, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives. That's in the occasion that Pharaoh was trying to kill all the boys that were born. So they refer to the Israelites as Hebrew. And Jonah is confessing, he's telling them, I belong to that people, I am a Hebrew. Jonah is identifying himself in a way that those pagans could understand. And immediately after, he affirms, And I fear the Lord. Not any God, not the gods that you have been trying to pray to, but the Lord, capital letters, the great I am, Yahweh, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. And his answer here is already ironic for two reasons. First, because he is the one who serves the God who controls the heaven and the sea. So he's already showing out that it's his guilt. He is the guilty one. He is the one who serves this God who brought the storm upon them. It is his God who did this. And second, because although he's claiming that he fears God, not fearing God is exactly what brought him into this situation. Although he's professing that he fears the Lord, he has done exactly the opposite. He has not feared God and ran away from him. There is a discrepancy and inconsistency between Jonah's profession and his actions. We could say that there is an Inconsistent between his orthodoxy and his orthopraxy, to put into modern terms. And even the sailors noticed that. And if they were afraid at first, now they are exceedingly afraid, verse 10. And they turn to him and ask, not much waiting for an answer, but more expressing their astonishment. astonishment. What have you done, or whatever have you done, how could someone who serves this almighty God, the God of heaven and earth, a God who made the sea, try to run away from him? What have you done, Jonah? How, how could you do this? If you profess that you serve the God who made the sea, how could you try to run away from him in the ocean? While the sailors fear false God, Jonah was still in defiance of the one true God. Verse 10 tells us, For the men knew that he, had, that he fled 
from the presence of the Lord. Once again, the refrain that we saw in the first portion of the chapter. He was running away from the presence of the Lord. Even those sailors men knew that. What a silly thing. To try to run away from the creator of the universe. How could it ever be a place in the universe that he created that the creature could hide from him? Now I want to speak to you who perhaps is here tonight. But you are, although you are here at church, you're still trying to hide from him. Trying to find a place as if you could hide from God. The truth is that sin doesn't remain hidden for long. And even when it does, even when we manage sometimes to keep sin hidden from others, not from God, it will corrode you. It will deteriorate your soul from the inside out. It will consume you. Sin has this deteriorating effect. And even though you think you can manage to keep it hidden from others, it is still going to affect your life. And even the life of others, as we will see. If you are here today, also in defiance of God's will, that is, although you are at church, you are hiding, then I ask this to you. What have you done Jonah, what have you done? Did you think you could run away from him? Pretend nothing happened. Mix with the crowd and hide from his presence. Dear Jonah, this storm might be God's last warning to wake you up from your sleep. And as good reformed people, we are often known by our orthodoxy. That is, we know the right doctrines. Perhaps many of you know the Heidelberg Catechism from the inside out. But what does your orthopraxy speak about you? What does the way that you live, the way that you speak, the way that you work, what does it say about you? You may know all the right doctrines. What does your actions tell me about you? Do the pagans around you look at you as they look into the prophet Elijah or Elisha and they say, there he goes, a man of God. Is this the way that they talk about you when you turn your back? Or do they say like those sailors, there he goes, a disturbing man, a running prophet, a sleeper. What do your actions tell about you? We want to see a revival happening once again, don't we? Do we want to see sinners being converted, coming to church and professing to trust in God? Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones has a famous sermon about revival in which he speaks about dead orthodoxy, which is very much like living like Jonah. In his sermon, Dr. Lloyd-Jones urges to not only know the right doctrines, but to work. 
to dig up again the wells that our forefathers once dug, wells that nowadays are filled with rubbish, either rubbish from the culture of our days or the dirt that we ourselves bring in. He says this, That is our business. We don't just pray that water might spring again through all this rubbish. It is our business to clear it out. God, as we know, can work miracles. But it is our business to work as well as to pray. Brothers, we cannot leave a dead orthodoxy. Yes, we must pray for a revival and trust the Lord can do it again. But it is our business to get to work. If we ever want to see a revival taking place, we must pray to the Lord, trusting that He can do it again, and we must work. And for that, our lives cannot be divergent from our doctrines. There can be no inconsistence between our confession, our orthodoxy, and our actions. But since sin is a hinder both to pray and to work, how to deal with sin? That is our second point. Sin dealt with. Verses 11 to 13. Verse 11 says, Then say they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. Now, that is very interesting. They are asking the accused to tell them what should be the penalty. They are asking the accused for the sentence upon them. And surprisingly, he answers. Jonah answers the question. The truth is that only Jonah could say what should be done at that moment. He was a prophet of God. Whether he liked it or not, he was the one who spoke the word of God. And he was the one who was being called out to give a word. And he said, verse 12, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. Regardless of how this might sound honorable, how this might sound honorable, he requests to be thrown overboard. He makes no confession. He doesn't pray to the Lord or for the others. He simply asks to be thrown overboard. Although Jonah is being rebellious, God's plan is already in action, as we'll see later. Nevertheless, it is easier for Jonah to ask to be thrown out of the ship than it is for him to bend the knee and pray to his God. Are you that resistant as well to pray to your God? Do you share the same difficulty as Jonah to bend the knee and pray to God? And for a stiff-necked people, the hardest, the hardest position is to be on our knees and recognize our frailty, to confess to the Lord our sins, our wickedness, her frailty, and how we need Him. Let me tell you, and maybe there are times that you don't feel like praying. 
And I know that all of us have those times. Sometimes that it, you might f- simply not feel like praying to the Lord. Well, that is the moment when you need to pray the most. As John Bunyan said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. That's the reality. That even if you don't feel like praying, oh brother, bend the knee and pray to the Lord. You can do much more than pray until you pray. If you need, you can pray like the father of that demon-possessed boy. You can go home and use his words. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because Jesus is able to lift you up and to make you arise from your sins. And he became as one dead. So that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Oh, brothers, pray to him. Yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Even if I don't feel like praying, Lord. Even if I don't feel like trusting you, Lord. But I believe. Help my unbelief. Just as he rose... Just as he rose, that demon-possessed boy, free from his curse, he can do it again. He can do it unto you. And we don't know exactly what was in Jonah's mind. Perhaps Jonah thought that this way would be easier. This would simply be the easiest way to simply be dragged down to the bottom of the sea. He was prepared to face the raging sea, but not to change from his disobedience. At least this way he might have thought, I will receive the consequence of my sin. I will not go to Nineveh, and the sailors will be spared. But God had different plans. God had higher plans for Jonah, for those sailors, and for Nineveh. Verse 13 tells us that those sailors tried hard to bring the ship to land. But they could not, because the sea grew more and more with violence against them. They tried to avoid. They heard what Jonas told them, and they tried to find another way to deal with that storm. They would not escape before sin was dealt with. There's no other way. Both Jonah's sin was trying to hide from God, and also the sin of those sailors who were at first seeking other gods, false gods, to appease the raging sea. To have God's hand being heavy upon us sometimes can be threatening. It's something that we are afraid of, that we fear, and we often have a good reason to fear. But sometimes it's not a synonym of His wrath, but of His love. Not, not letting us go astray. God's mercy will not allow us to escape the stormy sea before sin is dealt with. Even if He has to break the ship or swallow us up with a great fish, 
But our sins will be dealt with. Are you here today trying to escape from his presence? Or are you seeking a way to deal with the sins that torment your lives? Perhaps you're feeling so ashamed, so guilty, that you cannot dare to face God. That you cannot dare to come before his face, to stand before him. How could you? After all that you have done, you have disobeyed him, you had fled from him, you have, you have hidden from him. How could you face him? Oh, brothers, but just as sin needs to be found, sin needs to be dealt with. And the good news is that there is a resolution for sin. That's what we will see in our third point. Sin resolved. Verse 14 is an unexpected demonstration of God's grace. Reaching to the most unexpected sinner. Verse 14. Wherefore they cry unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. These men who not so long ago were polytheists, idolaters, were bowing down to a whole pantheon of gods, are now praying to the Lord. Notice the emphasis. Three times it says that they were praying unto the Lord. Capital letters again. Using the covenant name of God. They were praying to the great I am that I am. And the same thing that the shipmaster told Jonah to do in verse 6. To cry upon thy God. Now they are doing it. The shipmaster told Jonah to do this, but if Jonah was not going to do it, they were crying themselves upon the Lord. If the prophet Jonah was not going to cry for the Lord, these heathen sailors would. And there is a certain reluctance on the part of these heathen sailors to cast these men overboard. A spiritual concern not to shed innocent blood. First, they try to reach land with all their strength. And now they are begging God. They are trying to avoid taking the, this man's life. The very man who put them into this situation. But still, they are trying to avoid coming to this point. These pagans had more concern over Jonah's life than Jonah had over the whole city of Nineveh. They know that God judges and that He is the God of justice. So they are appealing that God would not let them die for taking the life of this man. And they even recognize Lord, the God, God's sovereignty. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. They know that if the Lord is the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe... He does as He pleases, always as He pleases and when He pleases, as G.A. Parker said. Because He is the creator of the universes. So He does whatever He pleases, for He is sovereign over all. 
So in one verse, we have pagans who pray to the Lord, who have compassion over life, who know that God, that God judges, and who recognize God's sovereignty. What a miracle. They are professing a better doctrine than Jonah is. We have a, a running prophet and humble sailors. As a commentator say here, good non-Israelites who are face to face with a prophet who is not good at all, pray that they should not acquire guilt through his death. Only a satirist switches roles like this in order to convey a humiliating lesson to his readers. And I do think God is using Jonah's story to convey a humiliating lesson for us today. After the sailors pray unto God, verse 15, So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. As soon as they cast Jonah in the sea, as soon as Jonah hits the water, the storm disappeared. As if the sea was confirming, it was his fault. It was this man's fault. The sea is immediately obeying the voice of the Creator. God commanded, and the sea was raging. God commanded, and the sea was calm. Then verse 16. The man feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Once again, it is repeated that these men were serving the Lord. No more other gods, but now they fear the Lord. And they even offer sacrifice unto the Lord. The exact same expression that appears in verse 10 is repeated in verse 16. The man feared the Lord exceedingly. They were terrified, terrified when they heard that Jonah served the God of heaven and earth. And now they are terrified when they saw that indeed this was the God creator of the universe. They might have been afraid at first of this storm. But now these men are afraid of the God of this storm. Because now, that now they see that indeed there is a God behind this storm that commands as He pleases the whole universe by the word of His power. And as if Jesus was there commanding this storm. And they feared exceedingly. And say one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? It comes from Mark chapter 4, 41. The same voice that is spoke when Jonah was at that ship and the sea was raging. The same voice spoke and the sea was calm. As we heard this morning, it's the same God the same God that in the Old Testament controlled the seas and the heavens, in the New Testament speaks through the Son, the God-man. A greater miracle 
than making a stormy sea to stop in perfect calmness is to make pagan sailors bend the knee in thanksgiving to God. This is for sure a mind-bottling transformation, far greater than changing the stormy sea. The same God who made the sea, heaven, and land is now transforming these men's heart. They were so impacted by their encounter with God that they now make vows to walk a, a holy life before Him. The unexpected has happened. The Lord has already started saving sinners. The things which are impossible with man are indeed possible with God. He is already changing sinners. Even before Jonah hits his, reaches his final destination, God is already transforming the lives of these people. And all these happen despite Jonah's disobedience, or even through his disobedience. As a proof that even when one thinks that can frustrate God's plan, it is actually accomplishing his plans. Nothing can frustrate God's plan. The Lord brought sinners who were lost to fear him and trust him. And if God can bring such a marvelous salvation through Jonah's disobedience, what will he do if we obey him and preach the gospel to those around us? If this is what he does through disobedience, can you imagine what will he do if we bend the knee and storm the mercy seat asking him to save those who are perishing around us? If this is such a compassionate God that even against the will of this running prophet, he saved those around him, what will he do if his whole church prays for the salvation of those around us? This is a great testimony of God's sovereignty in saving his people, even regardless of our frailty. But if God will to save these men, even against Jonah's will, how much more would he do if we plead before him, before his throne of grace? And I would like to conclude this sermon with two parables, two parallels of how to analyze Jonah's narrative up until this point. First, Jonah's story in the storm here remembers the story of Achan, how the sin of one man put the lives of many others at stake. That is what happens in Joshua chapter 7, Joshua chapter 7, when Achan hid the spoils from war under his tent. And he tried to heed those spoils, thinking that no one would know. But then, because of his sin, because of the sin of one man, because of the sin of Achan, hundreds of people died. Both from his family, his whole family had to die, and also even from Israel in the battle against Ai. 
sin has collective consequences. I like Dr. Barrett's expression, there is no such a thing as a private sin. Sin has a collective effect. The lesson for us here is very straightforward. Do not believe that when you are sinning, your sin has an impact only on your life. You might commit the sin in private, but it will have collective effect. Sin is so powerful that it has this spreading power. It will hurt those around you. Even if you committed in the dark of the night when no one sees it, it will find a way to hurt others. Do not play with sin. Not even the ones who appear to be so private and so small. How could anyone else care? God sees it. And sin has a devastating effect. It will erode you from inside out. And it will hurt those who will love the most. Do not play games with sin. This is how we sleep away. This is how we drift away. When little by little we play with sin. And the second parallel is with Jesus, which in this case is a contrast. There are many similarities between Jonah's episode in the ship and the storm. And you can read that in Matthew 8, 20, 18 to 27. When Jesus is at that ship in a stormy sea as well. But the most relevant is that where Jonah failed, Jesus succeeded. The commentators say Jonah's sleep and descent to death are motivated by a desire to escape his calling. Jesus' sleep and descent to death, however, are motivated by a desire to embrace his calling. You see the difference? That where Jonah failed, Jesus succeeded. But the prophet Jonah failed. The final prophet, the prophet per excellence, Jesus Christ, succeeded. The good news is that even if and when we fail, Jesus has succeeded. We can rest knowing that God's plan cannot be frustrated. Sin has indeed a devastating effect. But the good news of the gospel is that there is a way to deal with our sins and to put it behind us. And that way is Jesus. It's bringing at the feet of Jesus. Yes, sin has a devastating effect which will destroy us and those around us. But in Jesus Christ, There is a way to deal with sin, to reverse the curse, to free her from this bondage, and to bring us back into communion with him. For he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The only way to deal with sin is through Jesus Christ.
It's not by hiding it. That is our natural impulse, to try to hide. Just like in the garden, to try to hide from the presence of the Lord. Or just like Jonah, to try to hide and to flee away, run away. But the only way to deal with sin is by bringing it before Jesus Christ at His feet. Confessing what we have done. And trusting that He is the God creator of the universe. And just as He is able to transform a stormy sea, He is able to transform our lives. And the good news is that regardless of how much we have rejected His call at first, doesn't matter how much... How far away we have run from Him. He can still re-qualify us to carry on His gospel message. Doesn't matter how far we are from Nineveh. Or how far we are from the call that He has given us. He can still call us back. Transform us. Re-qualify us. To fulfill His call. May the proclamation of God's gospel... Be preached in us, first of all, through us, through our lives, through our actions and our confession, and even despite us when we fail. For what matters is His name to be glorified, not ours, not our comfort, not our lives even, but to bring glory to Thee. Amen. Let's pray to the Lord once again. O Lord, our God, we come before Thee once again with thanksgiving, Lord, recognizing, Lord, that Thou art the mighty God, the God who controls the sea, the heavens, the wind, the whole universe, Lord as in thy hands. And, O oh Lord, it is good news, for we can rest assured that despite our failures, thy plans cannot be frustrated. And, O oh Lord, we pray thee, Lord. O oh Lord, do not set us loose. Do not let us run away from thee and hide from thee, Lord. Wakes us up, Lord, even if it takes a storm or a fish. Wakes us up. And, oh, Lord, for those who are here tonight, perhaps feeling brokenhearted, ashamed of their past lives, oh, Lord, show them the face of Christ. To see that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to transform us. And He can transform our lives. So, Lord, save sinners. Transform us, Lord. It starts even with this church. And may thy gospel be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen.